DK. Welcome to the Wheelprint Podcast, brought to you by APM Medical Supplies. This podcast is created to uncover the inside game of adaptive athletes, their untold stories of what drives them and makes them tick. So be prepared to be inspired as we discover the trials and triumphs of the human spirit. Enjoy this show. DK and I'm the host of the Wheelprint Podcast, the only podcast that covers consistently the sport of wheelchair basketball, its personalities, its success stories, its challenges. Uh, we we do it all and we do it well. And this is our 24th episode, and so proud of the fact that we're coming. Uh, down to the end of season two and heading into season three. I want to give a giant shout out to APM Medical for being our our presenting sponsor uh, and for our official wheelchair of the wheelprint, Performax, the Sweet Ride. Uh, today's guest, man, I've been so jacked and just getting off of watching the World Cup in the U.S., Moving forward, man, my blood's pumping. Uh, but today's guest is Josh Turek, and uh, a man who has thrived and excelled, uh, but under the radar some, somewhat, not in the spotlight of social media and self-promotion, but simply having a humble and strong presence in any environment he encounters, a solid human being. Let me just read off a couple quick stats. I don't know how quick they're going to be. A four-time Paralympic team member, a two-time gold medalist from Rio, Tokyo, and a bronze medal out of London, 2012, has a degree in history from Southwest Minnesota State University and also has earned a master's degree in the Hall of Fame at Abraham Lincoln High School, as well as SMSU. He was student athlete of the year at at the same college in 2002, which lends itself to great academic appliance. He's an 18-year professional internationally, uh, staggering, an elite journeyman of the business. He's on the high performance committee of the NWBA, the National Wheelchair Basketball Association, And he has recently wowed us all to be elected to the Iowa House of Representatives. Uh, We'll get to most all of these uh, topics during the podcast. But Josh, just so you know, my vision, my goal is that this episode is the most viewed and the most downloaded that we've had in our 24 episodes to celebrate your greatness, brother. So welcome to the Wheelprint Podcast, Josh. Uh, thank you so much. That's quite the introduction. I'm uh, I'm genuinely honored and, and humbled to be able to join you. I, I've, I've been listening to all the other episodes and seen all the other uh, players. And honestly, I'm, I'm just honored to be uh, amongst it. So thank you for having me, really. Yeah, no, our honor, our honor, all ours. Uh, well, with... With as with many of my guests of this generation, 
I've had uh, early relationship in in the different journeys, uh, and and you are part of that crowd, Josh. Uh, kind of dates me as the OG, but I can I, I'm good with that. Uh, but 2003 is how I remember it. You were in the trials for the uh, uh, Paralympic team for uh, 2004 in Athens. You made that team. I was a coach. Uh, I witnessed you through the trials and, and then, and had something to do with coaching you in uh, Athens. Uh, And you were a young man with a big gun and a tremendous upside. Uh, How old were you when you made your first Paralympic team uh, for Athens? Oh, I think I was 20, 24, 25, 2000. Right out of college. Yeah, that I, I, I made it. Actually, uh, you don't remember this probably, but our story goes back even further. Um, my last year playing juniors, I played with the Nebraska Red Dogs. And oh. this was, in, this is, I'm going to date both of us. This was 1997. And at the end of the competition there in Charlotte, uh, there was, uh, it was actually a layup competition. Whoever can continuously make the most layups without missing uh, ends up getting a free wheelchair. And you were the one that was running that. And that was actually my first basketball wheelchair up to that point. I was just running this hybrid half, you know, day chair, half uh, wheelchair basketball chair. So we go back, we go back that far. And I'll tell you even one more thing that you're not familiar with is you were on the 2000 Paralympic team. And, you know, I, here, here I am in college at SMSU. And, you know, during that time, I, I feel like I was lucky enough to play in like the golden era of, of collegiate sports there and a, a lot of my compatriots were were playing uh Paul Schulte and Jeff Glassbrenner and even you know my first year you had like Pat Anderson I went in with him uh Joe Johnson so a lot of these guys are end up playing internationally and here I am sitting on the sidelines just wanting to be a part and I actually took a picture from the sports and spokes 2000 and I circled your your picture there and I put that up on my wall and I had that up there for two years just to remind me every single day of this is the team I'm going to make. This is the spot I'm going to take. Oh, my gosh, man. Well, I knew I had seen you as a junior. My question was going to be uh, because I have a case of CRS and uh, I was relying on your memory for some of this background. Uh, but, yeah, so it was. The Nebraska Red Dogs? Or... That's right. That was, my, that was my first team. Yeah, yeah. We played at Davidson College in that. Uh, That's right. Yeah, that, we're uh, partic- Yep, yep. And uh, well, anyways, and then uh, so we have that background. And, you know, 2012, I've never let go. There was one bad officiating call that kept us out of the, the medal round. And uh Funny how we hang on to moments that define certain attempts at at uh, our hardware, but nonetheless. Um, well, look, let's uh, let's go. I know you're a proud council, uh, proud council bluffs man, and and growing up in 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 that neighborhood, and and what was your family, their role, and uh, I know a little bit about your siblings, but. You have four, not just two, that played professionally as well. So talk a little bit about Council Bluffs and family. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, growing up, well, I was born with spina bifida, so a lifelong member of the disabled community. Um, I, I grew up with, uh, as you said, four brothers and sisters and, you know, grew up poor in, in, in Council Bluffs, D- disabled and poor certainly uh, was no easy uh, task. You know, I was bullied pretty badly in school, actually ended up leaving public school because I was bullied so bad. Uh, but what... Uh, what changed my life, honestly, was when I was about 12 years old, I went to the Omaha uh, sports camp, Adaptive Cancer, was run by, by Mike Colt, and finally, for the first time, was exposed to wheelchair basketball and just immediately fell in love with it. And as you mentioned, I come from uh, a basketball family, let's say, uh, you know, just to give a little shout out, my brother ended up playing uh, 11 years professionally over in Europe, played at the University of Nebraska. My sister played at Oral Roberts University and then actually had a brief cup of coffee with the Chicago Sky with the WNBA and played uh, three years professionally over in Spain. Uh, So competition was deep in our blood. And growing up, I had always played uh, just against them, you know, just in the backyard and, and obviously being in a wheelchair, nearly impossible as my brother here he is, you know, six foot seven as he grew up to be six foot nine. Uh, yeah, to, trying to do anything against them. Um, and so for the first time, you know, here I am 12 years old, finally being exposed to wheelchair. And I did. I just immediately fell in love with the sport and uh, and did everything I could to uh, to get as good as I possibly could. Yeah, well, definitely a uh basketball playing family and and sports oriented uh and uh we're grateful for that exposure you had to some of the frustration of a six seven brother swatting you uh probably not making it easy and taking any consideration for that wheelchair or anything definitely not taking it easy on me if anything <laughs> was just getting great enjoyment out of just you know swatting every shot i put up uh but there is no question that growing up in that highly competitive environment um, really, really pushed me on to, to great things. If nothing else, them, you know, being around me and seeing the worth ethic and the dedication that they were putting in day after day after day, you know, we would really push each other. Uh, I mean, we'd get on each other like, oh, I put up a thousand shots today. How many shots did you put? Oh, I, I spent this amount of time in the weight room. How much did you spend? And I think at times, especially in adaptive sports, there can be a little bit of a disconnect just with the the, the amount, the total amount of, of talent pool out there of exactly how much it takes, the, you know, the dedication and the worth ethic to, to be great. And I feel very, very lucky that from, you know, a young age, I was just immediately smacked with it because of seeing everything that, you know, my brothers and sisters were, were having to do to be great in their sport. And I just was not a person that wanted to be outdone in any sense. And so if they're going to go and spend three or four hours in the gym each day, well, that's what I'm going to do too. I'm going to go and match him. And I never wanted to lose anything that we did, you know, even, even tiddlywinks. I didn't care what we were playing. I didn't want to lose. So a part of my drive as well of wanting to be great in, the, in, in wheelchair basketball was I wanted to get so good that I never would lose to them in any sort of shooting competitions or anything that we did. Whatever, whatever inspires us, you know, and we, we always are looking. uh, So that's a great story. Um, But uh, you know, we talked about your, your time. uh, Well, I want you to talk about your time at Southwest Minnesota state university uh, and the importance of education and, and how in, today and and over the past decades uh 
wheelchair basketball players have been able to uh, earn uh, scholarships for their education and, and compete on a daily basis in a college program. So talk yeah. about what that was like. Sure. Well, um, like I said, I, I played with the Nebraska Red Dogs. And at the conclusion of that, honestly, I wasn't the biggest guy. I wasn't the strongest guy. Uh, there were a few uh, schools that were interested in me. Um, but the one that piqued my interest the most, honestly, was Southwest Minnesota State in Marshall, Minnesota. And uh, a couple of reasons. One, it was it was only uh, four. It was only uh, four hours away from my house. And so I had the ability to be far enough away to have independence, but I was close enough to, you know, to be able to go home from time to time if I wanted to. But as well, I wanted to be I wanted to be a big fish in a little pond. I didn't just want to be, as you kind of see nowadays with with sports, uh, these guys just joining on into super teams. And like I said, I, I, I came out of what I think was the golden era and like. You know, I remember guys like Paul Schulte is who I graduated with and, and Pat Anderson in the schools they were going against. I didn't want to join up with them and just, you know, have an easy ride to a national championship. I wanted to see how great I could be and how far I could lead a team to go. And so that was part of my my calculus and decision in in doing that. And honestly, um, as as much as joining up with a larger university and maybe with with better players around me would have been some level of benefit. There is no question in my mind that I made the right decision. And I think that experience is the best teacher. And truly for me, I mean, especially like my last three years, uh, I, I mean, I went into games with an enormous amount of pressure on my shoulders. I knew that if I didn't score at least 30 points a game, that we were not going to be competitive. Um, but going into every single game with that kind of mindset, I think really built me physically and mentally into the type of player and competitor that made me, you know, as successful as, as I was able to do. Well, let's talk about that success, my brother, because uh, you own just about every scoring record uh, known at, at that university. Uh, doing the research on you was so much fun to get into some of the inner details, but 4,024 points total as your time at, at the university, 1,213 rebounds, uh, the most threes made, the most twos made, the most free throws made, and man, you're in the Hall of Fame or honor at, at Southwest Uh and uh, touted as the most decorated athlete in that school's history. Whoa. Whoa. Um, I, you know, honestly, I was, I was fortunate to, uh, to get to play with some good teammates, as you, you know, anyone will tell you uh, in this space. Basketball is a team game, and I, I couldn't have done it. And I still – some of my, my, my teammates are still some of my best friends to this day, like Ryan Martin, who's, you know, doing some great things uh, with his foundation with the NWBA, and uh, Paul Weiland, who now is a coach in, in wheelchair basketball. These, these are still some of my best friends to the day. And, uh, you know, more than anything, truthfully, anything that I was able to do at SSU, and I did, I mean, like, you know, 63 points in a game and 4,000 career points. I look back at it now and be like, wow, I, I certainly was a ball hog. I, you don't see any assist records on there, so I was definitely getting them up. But uh, it, it's just a testament to my, to you know, if anything, to, 
so I want to be humble about it. Like it, it, it was, it was the worth ethic. It was the discipline and the dedication that honestly, I was just singularly minded and focused on, on the game of wheelchair basketball being as good as I could. And honestly, what was driving me was from the beginning of playing wheelchair basketball, my goal was, you know, never to win a, a collegiate national championship or even to be a professional wheelchair basketball player, which I was able to do. Uh, for me, from day one, it was to be able to represent my country, wear a USA jersey, and try to win a gold medal. And honestly, like from from, I always had one eye on the present. Of look, every single year I went into uh, my season, whether that was at club or whether that was in college, to try to win a championship and to try to be successful with that team. But always, my goal through this whole entire process was, I want to I want to play for USA. Like I told you, I mean, I had your your picture up there on my wall. I looked at it every single day. And, you know, on the days that uh, where you, you don't have that drive, where you're a little bit tired, where you don't want to go get up the shots, you don't want to do the cardio. I mean, it, basketball, like any type of job to be successful is a grind. Um, that was what inspired me to just keep on going. No, this is the goal. And if you want to get it, you've, you've got to go out there and you've got to earn it. Yeah, that that that's an honor to hear you say that about the circling of the picture and and uh you, you know and that's where where great players are defined is when they're doing the work when they don't want to when nobody's watching and uh that's where uh you get pretty much defined, you know, by self. Uh, did I outwork everybody today is how I always looked at workouts. And if I didn't, I would, and I'd have to be honest the next day I say, well, tomorrow I'm going to, you know, and there will be no doubt, you know, uh, but I wanted to, you, you know, I saw a quote about, uh, you know, I knew Dale Erickson and, uh, the late great Dale. And you had a quote, it said, I was young and talented. You you have to have some stubbornness, confidence, and self-belief to achieve things that I've achieved. Dale Erickson understood how to coach me. Some players need soft love. Some players need tough love. He realized I perform better with tough love, and I appreciate that. Without him, I'm not sure I'm able to achieve what I have. So everybody's got a number of people along the way, but some that really stand out perhaps like Dale. Yeah, no question. And and honestly, I don't know where you found that quote, but um, that's about as well as, you know, I mean, I, I certainly said it and, and that's my feelings about him. Uh, Dale Erickson was, uh, you know, rest in peace, uh, was my coach at, at SSU for four of my, my five years there. And, uh, and that's exactly what it was. Um, he, he knew that what I needed was not, you know, pat me on the back, soft loved. I needed somebody to give me challenges and to constantly push me. And uh, because he did see that, that I was talented and that I had uh, a unique ability to, to score the ball. And he knew that I could go on to do some great things if he could just channel that and, and, and funnel that. And yes, as you know, any of us that have achieved great things in sports, we know there's a handful of individuals uh, that without them and without their assistance, and that goes from, you know, my parents to my brothers and sisters, my first coach, Mike Colt, uh, Dale Erickson, uh, you, you know, certainly, I mean, there's, there's a few, even like like you and, and Mo Phillips that selected me. My first 
uh, national team. Uh, Jim Glatch, who who brought me back in the fold after many years outside of of USA basketball, and certainly Ron Likens, who is, you know, in my opinion, the greatest international coach. I mean, there's a, there's a handful All of those individuals that that really push you. Um, and and honestly, I'm I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity to be around some of those individuals and that they saw something uh, great in me and that they were able to to push me along. Because as, as we, we all know, there's a million different things from bad friends to uh, whatever, you know, bad girlfriends. I mean, there's a million things that can push us off into uh, a, a different direction and, and get us off the course um, of success in life, whether that's in sports or, or life in general. And uh, I'm very, very fortunate that I had good family, good friends and great coaches. Um, and, and, I, and I just had this... Uh, you know, I was intrinsically motivated. You know, I had, I always had a really, really strong worth ethic that I just, I really believe that I've got to go out there and earn it. So. Yeah. Certainly staying on the beam of uh, being an elite athlete and representing your country is a balancing act. And uh, you have to be very uh, protective of not getting knocked off the beam, you know, and, and it, a lot of the times takes other people to have an eye on uh, that balance point. And uh, so I, I know you did a great job of mentioning some great coaches and people. Um, so curious, 4,000 points per uh, for a, uh, a career at, at, at school. What does that equate to per game? Is, is it what you mentioned, 30? Uh, yeah. Something like that. It's it's about thirty games. I know how humble you are. This is a time to kind of just let loose of that just the, a little bit. The, the, look, the last two years we we certainly didn't have very deep teams, and and like I said, um, there were certainly games I went into it where I knew that I, I had to score at least thirty and, and probably you know forty or fifty if uh, if if we were going to win. And uh, so you just have to do what you have to do to be successful. And, and that's what I did. But honestly, it's like going through that experience. It, it really made me into the, to the player uh, that I was. So I'm great. I'm grateful for that experience. And, and yeah, I was, uh, I was able to do some things, but look, uh, records are meant to be broken. And so those records are there for, for anyone to, to go to SMSU. Uh, I wish you luck. Uh, 63. I hope you take down and I hope somebody takes down 4,000 because that means the university is continuing to be successful. And uh, I hope that I am not the, the last Paralympian to come out of there. Yeah, most likely not. And good luck to whoever's going to try to do that. Uh, it's interesting that you're, was that your high game total? 63 ever? 63. Yeah. Jeff Glassbrenner was 63 in the final yeah, in four a, in Denver. In a, in a much more important game, you know. Well, yeah, but there's just, that's just no, you know, I guess it's a quinky dink. But anyway, uh, so 18 years, a journeyman, man. When, when, when you left, you stayed uh, where most uh, – would you think you are the longest tenured international – uh, professional we've had? Maybe. So, you know, 2002 was my last year at SSU. Um, I, I was really, really fortunate. Again, I didn't even know professional wheelchair basketball existed truthfully at that time uh, because there wasn't a whole lot of notoriety. I know there had been a handful of guys that had gone over there, like a tree waller. Uh, yeah. I, Glass, Glassbrenner was over there actually at that time in Spain. Yeah. 
but there there weren't a whole lot of guys uh, that were doing it. And honestly, I was getting a whole lot of push, especially from like USA Basketball at the time of, no, no, you need to stay over here and play in the NWBA. This is the best league. This is where you need to go. But um, I my last year at school, there was a team out of Milan, Italy, that came down and, and scouted and said, uh, we'd like you to come play with us. And I thought, my God, uh, you know, I'd studied history in school and here's an opportunity to see some places that I had only read about in, in books and to be able to travel, which I absolutely love to do and travel on somebody else's dime. And the, the thing that inspired me the most, it certainly wasn't financially incentivized. I mean, you're, you're, you're just making a little bit of money, especially for me, a first year player. Uh, but it was, I knew that was the best opportunity that I had to continue my journey to ultimately make the, the USA team. And so that's what made me do it. And so I went over there I ended up playing two years in Milan, Italy, played well enough uh, that I got offered uh, to play in Madrid, Spain, stayed there for six years, got to play with some really great players uh, there and and won won quite a few games. And I mean, honestly, I was lucky I got to win it basically every single place I went in, in Italy. I won the Italian Cup. Spain won the, the Spanish League, won the Spanish Cup a couple times. Uh, from there, I ended up actually going and playing in Hitafe. Got to play with some good friends, Jermel Penny and Ryan Martin amongst them. That was awesome. That was probably the most fun I ever had um, playing. And then uh, ended up going and playing in the south of France for two years. And, and, and probably the most beautiful place I got to do, which is right in the Côte d'Azur near Cannes in Saint-Tropez. Beautiful area. I did that because uh, my brother was playing in France. And I wanted for one year at least for us to be able to see each other's games and to be able to see each other because throughout his whole entire career, he was playing in places like Poland and Netherlands and Belgium. Here I was in Spain. We never get to see each other. Uh, so did two years in, in, in France and then left France after two years. And the reason I did that was because the Paralympics for 2016 were getting ready to come up. And I knew having been in, involved in it, that this was, this was our year. This was our moment. And I wanted to be playing in the very best league with the very best players. So I went back to Spain and uh, I ended up playing in Bilbao, Spain for uh, five years. And that was uh, the remainder of my career. And I did that all the way up until COVID happened. Wow, man. That, that's just a staggering level of consistency, endurance, uh, you know, talk about the grind. But, you know, I know getting paid anything for the game you love is, is a blessing. You know, I, I look back, you know, players of my era, if we had only the chance to go to college, if we only had the chance to have uh, played professionally, you know, uh, but, you know, the game evolves and, and we are uh, in a very good place right now. Um you know, you talked about your work ethic and we could go into great detail, but uh, what caught me again in doing some research was, I think it was in your, did you get your uh, um, master's prior to Tokyo? Just prior. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I read that that caused you, you, you got your master's and you were doing it online and that caused your training to get shifted to five in the morning at a local venue. I don't know how local uh, put up a thousand shots. And then the part that I really love that I could relate to, I pushed home 
How up far it, was that? It, it's it's about a mile and a half, and it's just straight uphill. Okay, there you go, man. Now, people, did you just hear that? And then go to work, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, what, what, so what ended up happening, I mean, not to skip too far ahead, because I definitely don't want to skip over, you know, 2016, but um, I, I knew that, that 2020 was going to be the end for me. Uh, I, I had already circled that of Tokyo. I'm going to go one last run with my brothers. Uh, we're going to do that. But as we all know, COVID ends up happening, which was sad for me because here I am over in Spain still, I mean, playing some of the best basketball of my life at that time, even though I'm getting a little late in the game. I had just been all-star five in the Spanish uh, Copa del Rey, which is, you know, unquestionably the best competition with the best players. And here two weeks later, COVID happens. I go home. Um, the, the games get delayed by a year. Well, I end up taking a job with New Motion, who, who I'm still employed with currently. and and I had already decided that I was going to finish my, my master's degree, which I thought was going to coincide and it was going to all work out perfectly. I'm going to finish my master's, finish playing professionally, finish with it, Tokyo, hopefully with a gold medal and then go on with part B of my life. Well, with COVID, it all got delayed by a year. So here I am now finishing my master's degree, training alone. There was no teams to play with by myself. I'd never done that. I'd always been playing professionally. And then working a full-time job for the first time in my life. And so that's exactly what I was doing. I was waking up at five o'clock in the morning, pushing down to the gym, getting up shots, try to shoot about a thousand every morning, push uphill back to get in some cardio, work all day long, come back after work and go get in, you know, cardio or lift and then push back up that hill. And then whenever I would find time, whether that was on the weekends or was that was during the day. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I would do my master's classes and it, it was grueling. It was, it was really, really difficult. And I, I think there's no question that I was not as good as I would have been in Tokyo if I had had that lead up and, and still been out there playing professionally. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that grind yeah. certainly prepared me for, for what came next. caught <laughs> My eye, uh, incredible elite workout or work ethic. And uh, man, uh, I hope all the young listeners are paying close attention to what it takes to separate yourself from the masses. Uh, I want to read something to you uh, that was uh, from one of your teammates. And of course, when you speak of 2016, 2020, you all were a family prior to and moving in in a cycle uh, you know, together and and dominated in in gold in Rio. Not you know, not dominated the game, but you know what I'm saying. You, you brought home two back to back gold medals. Mascot had this to say: Josh Turek is one of the most efficient players I've ever seen. This guy would go off for 25 plus. You'd see the stats later. He shot 80 to 90% from the field. Josh was a threat from everywhere on the court, from the start of the game all the way to crunch time. Some players tighten up when games are on the line. Not everyone is able to stay focused and locked in when the time is ticking down. JT lived for the moments to shine in the clutch and made a career out of not only being a prolific scorer, but getting buckets when they matter the most. He always showed up to camps in great shape with a good attitude. Off the court, he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet. Really important. A lead by example man who's doing great 
incredible things post-basketball as we see him thriving in politics. Josh Turek for prayers was his last words. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, you are. That's, you know, that's high praise from him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's more coming and we're going to kind of have to go through this just a little, little faster than I would like. But, uh, you know, you've got the likes of Matt Scott saying that about you. And then here recently we see that he's testifying before Congress. Uh, so there's some rub off and synergy going on between you Paralympic gold medal family guys. And uh, what a powerful uh, statement he made. Um, and we'll get into your statement as well. But what about that in going to Congress and being that guy? Honestly, it's incredible. I'm really, really proud of, of what Matt's doing. I, I mean, with Google and, and, and on and on. All of my teammates, honestly, from that, you know, 2016, 2020, if you look, you're seeing all of us. And you touched on this in your last podcast with, with Jake Williams, that all of us are going on to, to doing great things. And I remember Jake saying that he couldn't put his finger on it. I can. It's the, the same worth ethic and drive, and dedication, discipline that allows you to achieve a high level of adaptive sports is the exact same skill set that immediately translates to whatever else we put ourselves into. So I have no doubt that every single guy that was a part of that cycle that allowed us to, you know, because look, it, it's really, really difficult to win a gold medal. And all the guys that went through it know those incredibly long days and those days at the end of, you know, three days and time at Colorado Springs. And you know, I mean, it's, it's grueling, but it's that exact same drive that allows you to become great in adaptive sports that allows you to become great and whatever else you pursue later in life. No, no question about it. Hey Amen. I'm glad you could just laser in on that because, uh, you know, these outcomes and opportunities I've sat back and watched and I'm like, man, it's what a great time to be a, a Paralympian and, and what we get in terms of awareness and identity. Uh, and Josh, what you got probably as a number one came, I think, out of Spain. And that would be, and this is my first time saying your wife's name on in public. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you because you're gonna you're gonna botch it. It's okay. Arlene. Arlene. Arlene, yeah. The the, the Arlene. Down. yeah. Thank you, because I would have really butchered it. Uh, but this is the time to talk about that number one outcome that uh, uh, was as a result, I think, out of being a player in Spain. It was. It's, you know, I, I owe a lot to my time in Spain and probably more than any uh, one thing is um, I'm incredibly fortunate. Uh, I've got a, a, a beautiful wife. Uh, she's uh, Dominican by birth, uh, Spanish by passport. Uh, we met when, when I was there in Madrid. Uh, we did a lot of long distance. She was actually uh, in dental school and um, in, in the Dominican Republic, actually. And so we did several years uh, long distance. And she um, she sacrificed an enormous amount for me. We, we had the opportunity of maybe living in Europe where she could have practiced actual dentistry or we could have lived in the Caribbean, the, the, the uh, Dominican Republic, and she could have practiced dentistry. Um, but she knew that I did not have any sort of like really good long-term uh, opportunities occupationally in, in, in certainly in Spain, the vast, sadly the vast majority 
of individuals in the disabled community in the streets selling lottery tickets. And in the Dominican Republic, the, the disabled population is almost ostracized from the community. I mean, you look at you're, you're just looked at as like a leper when you're there. And so she knew that the best opportunity for me long term was going to be for us to move to the USA. So she actually stopped dental school and she ended up uh, starting in English, her second language. She had never studied anything in English and took on this really, really difficult program of doing dental hygiene here. And uh, it, just in this last year, she actually completed it. it, was incredibly difficult. I'm very, very proud of her. And so now she's working as a, a dental hygienist here in, uh, in, my, in my city. And so, yeah. And honestly, I'm uh, anybody that's, that, that has met Harleen and, and, and knows us, she's, she's a beautiful person. She's driven. Uh, but I mean beautiful both inside and out. I'm, uh, I, I'm a really, really lucky guy. And uh, anybody that's seen the picture of the two of us knows that uh, I'm the one that got the better end of the deal. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm well over my skis, as they say. Yeah. Well, he, here's where we collide or intersect. Not a, not collide, but I met my wife at a Final Four uh, championship in Cleveland, and she was a dental hygienist. Um, so uh, she's retired now, but I'm the same way, man. Way over my pay grade, you know, way out of my league. Uh, but man, that was that, that, that we both can sit back and say, yeah, we are definitely lucky, lucky men. And she, she has Um, made me, she has made me a much better man. There's no question about it. Actually, I said to that tour the other day, I said, if it wasn't, wasn't for you kind of refining my edges and really pushing me post basketball, um, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten elected that that's for sure. So she's, she's made me a much better man. So I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm a lucky guy. Yeah. Well, my hat's off to you there. And I, I'm not surprised that you found the woman of your dreams. Um, but let's get into it now for the remainder of uh, this episode is you're elected to the Iowa House of Representatives. Hold on. Hold on. Before we go on, I want to say something because the majority of, the, of these people will, will end up being uh, basketball uh, people. So I, one thing that I want to get across to the kids is so I did four Paralympics. I, w- I was lucky enough to be a part of that 2014. And then I actually ended up going six years being cut every single year. I didn't make the USA team again until 2011. And then I was lucky enough to basically be a part of it all throughout uh, that go round. I'm really, really proud as much as I'm proud of winning two gold medals. And I've actually, I've got them here. Just thought I'd show them. Uh, yeah. There, there, there's my pride and joy, uh, you know, the dedication of thousands of years. Uh, I'm really proud of the fact that through that six-year period of time, I never quit. I never gave up. I just kept going and going and getting, getting cut every year. And so to any of the kids out there that are listening to this, you know, on the basketball side of things, be singular-minded uh, with your focus. Don't give up on your dreams and just keep fighting because, you know, I'm a great example of, 2004, I didn't make it. 2008, I could have quit. No, I finally made it, got in there. We win a bronze medal, didn't quit again, stayed through there. And, you know, in 2016, here we are, you know, we, we win the gold medal, go down as, you know, statistically the greatest team to ever do it. And then stick around and, uh, and do another one and win uh, another gold medal, which I'm enormously, enormously proud of with, uh, with what we did and the team that we did it. Because we were, we were, we were a band of brothers. Well... While we're on that subject, how 
how, you, you know, I tried to pop into your election to the Iowa House, but how do you think your Paralympic identity lent itself to your election? Um, in two ways. Well, one, um, certainly, certainly being a gold medalist by itself and being a hometown guy, uh, that, that certainly helped the equate. And, and if nothing else, people could see that, again, I had this worth ethic, I had this drive, that I had actually accomplished something that is not easy to do. And I think ultimately what we want out of our representatives is we want the very best and we want the very brightest and we want people that are going to be hardworking. Um, so that played into it. And then the other area that was definitely played into it is I attacked this the exact same way that I attacked basketball, which was, as we've already talked about, the work ethic. Uh, I knew that I wasn't going to let my opponent outwork me. I was going to go out there. I was going to do the hard work because honestly, getting elected is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It's not as physically demanding. Like I wouldn't be as I would leaving the OTC in Colorado Springs where I can't lift my arms. I'm so tired. But it's a, it's a much more mental fatigue. And I went out there and I knocked doors, you know, crawling up the stairs, crawling with my wheelchair every single day, seven days a week for six months. And I ended up knocking 13,700 doors, which only one campaign in all of Iowa uh, knocked more doors than me. And uh, in, in the end, I don't even know how much public this is or how many people know this. On election day, I ended up winning. Now, this is with... Uh, 7,000 people casting votes. I won by nine votes on election day. They did a recount last week to finalize it. I won this by six votes. Six votes is what I won by. Oh, so, my. So, you know, one, every single vote counts. Uh, but for two, it was it was that same work ethic, that discipline, that dedication that actually got me to the finish line of day after day after day, even on those days. In the same way that I told you that I had your picture up, I did the same thing. You can't see it in this room because it's off here to the side. But I've got a big picture up here of the Iowa Capitol, beautiful building. And I put that up here, here in my office because I knew that there were going to be days when I didn't want to get out there and knock doors until night. And, and, and you know, because it is, it's, it's really, really difficult, and especially now in modern politics, it's toxic. Uh, it's difficult. You run into some some really difficult conversations, uh, but I did it. And I actually so just so, so you guys know, uh, I am the only I ran as a Democrat, which wasn't easy. I mean, that was courageous in itself. Uh, <laughs> I, am, I am the only Democrat to get elected in all of southwest Iowa. And I actually outperformed the top of the ticket, which would have been the governor race and the senator race by 14 points. It's unheard of. Uh, and so. Uh, I'm I'm really really grateful uh, to be elected. I'm excited to be able to represent the disabled uh, community and the disabled population. As I was going out there, I would say that look, disabled population. We are 15% of the population. That's the same percentage as the African American population. But yet in government, and this is at a national level or a state level, we're essentially voiceless. No representation. No voice. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why in, in new, you know, I work with new motion. And so day after day, I'm seeing how difficult it is to get wheelchairs, to get health care um, for the disabled population. And I said, you know, we need more of us out there. And something I'm enormously proud of is that um, already they've invited me up to the Capitol building because here we've got this gorgeous, gorgeous building. I mean, it's it's opulent and it's awe inspiring, the Iowa Capitol building. But yet here it's built in like 1850. It is completely 88, inaccessible. And so here I am going up there. I'm the very first member of the disabled you know, community that has been elected. 
as a representative. And so now they're making these adaptions to uh, to the Iowa House, which really, really makes me happy. And, and, you know, it's great because now for any kids that are going to go up there, whatever, in high school or what, and, and they're going to see this bill, they're going to have access to it. And they can see, oh, there's a ramp. Why is that ramp in there now? Oh, that's because we actually have a representative that's in a wheelchair. He's born with spina bifida. That can inspire them not only to be great in adaptive sports, which is one thing. And, and that's, look, I, I want to push everybody to listen to this. Be as great as you can in wheelchair basketball or whatever sport you're playing. But beyond that, be great in some in, in, in other things. Be great. Like I was very, very clear that I wanted to have this as successful as my part A was in sports. I wanted to have this super successful as equally successful part B. And I want them to all know that there is no glass ceiling for you in whatever you attempt to achieve. And I think that maybe the legacy of our 2016 and 2020 team, as much as we won back-to-back gold medals, will be that regardless of what you put yourself into or attempt to achieve, there is no glass ceiling. The sky is the limit. You can do anything. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about a company that's important to me and my wheel print. APM Medical has chosen to sponsor the Wheel Print Podcast and my DK3 events. This is who they are. They give back to our adaptive sports world. I encourage you to look at APM to provide you with your personal care supplies. It just makes sense to support those who support us. Email APM at info at apm-med.com. Mention the Wheel Print Podcast to receive your next order, how you want it, and when you want it. APM Medical is a small company with a big heart. Now let's get back to our conversation with our guest. Right on, right on, right on, man. You just answered like uh, the questions I would have been throwing in. I didn't have to ask them. You answered the why in terms of the politics and that direction in what you just said. Uh, The the background story of 13,000 knocks on doors is staggering and again i the word elite is overused uh but that's that's a gold medal approach uh to uh getting elected and uh we're so proud of you man and uh you know somebody else that was proud of you is your roommate in in all these uh uh uh, endeavors with uh paralympics and uh Trayvon Jennifer had this to say, JP has been a great teammate, baller, and friend. His willingness to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, 13,000 doors for the team to get the win is truly admirable. Not to mention he is one of the the best shooters in the world. I remember this man coming off the bench in one of the most clutch moments in the Paralympics. I remember it specifically off the bench, cold, and uh, shooting two at the free throw line. And that those two free throws were probably the biggest in uh, our Paralympic history as, as a country, uh, cemented the win. Uh, on the court, he is automatic as it comes. And off the court, he is bona fide leader, mentor. JT has worn several hats like professional star, Paralympic gold medalist, family man and husband, just to name a few. And he's taking on the political world by storm. Uh, We can't wait to see his impact he's had on the political stage for his district as they are getting a man who never backs down and will put his team on their back. We love this man, Josh Turek. 
Uh, so just let that marinate into your core, your love by so many. Uh, give me a quick shout out about Trayvon. I'm going to do you one better. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you this about Trey. Trey is without question. He, he is the best defender I ever, I ever saw. I ever played with, I ever played against. And Trey made me better because I knew in all those practices that we had that if I could score against Trayvon, that I could score against anybody. And, you know, the, the, the lineup that we always played was myself and Trey and Matt and, um, and Steve, that was our three, five lineup. And there was some beauty in that, that, you know, people would look at Trey sometimes as uh, he, he was kind of a one-way player in, in the defense and that I was kind of a one-way player on the offensive end. But there was this, this, this like, beautiful thing in the yang between all of us that did it. But one thing I want to do real quick, if, if, if you, you, you please let me, is on this, uh, you know, sometimes we'll shout out like one guy I did to, to Matt, and I love he knows I love him. I want to give a quick shout-out to every single guy I played with um, on that 16 and 20 team and Les Verance, uh, that guy was never in a bad mood, super smart, super consistent. Uh, Johnny G same, one of the most consistent guys I, I ever played with as a one, uh, JB, uh, John boy, a uh, great one pointer, uh, worked incredibly hard to be a great two way player as a one pointer, which is very, very difficult to do. Ice pick was, uh, one of the smartest players I ever played with as one. Uh, so long, you know, couldn't be mismatched. He was always in the right place at the right time. Uh, Googe, two-pointer on that 16 team. Uh, on and off the court, one of my favorite people. He was, without question, I mean, physically the strongest guy I ever saw. The best defender, without a question, as a two-pointer. Uh, Niswinder, super dedicated guy, hard worker. He was always learning. Every single time that he had the chance, he would come up to me or come up to the veterans and pick our brains in ways that he could get better. Uh, Jared Rambula. He was our energy guy. He he absolutely, without him in 2016, we would not have been as good as we were. I said to pe- to Jared at the beginning of the tournament, I said, Jared, it does not matter if you play a minute in this competition. As long as you can bring that energy and that energy translates to us, we're going to be successful. Uh, Jake Williams, absolutely fearless. One of the, the best shooters I ever saw and re- honestly reminded me of a little bit of myself. Uh, Trey, like I said, one of the best defenders ever. Matt Scott, I absolutely love Matt. Uh, we were He was one of the ones that I was through this whole entire process with from 2004 all the way to the end. Uh, he's the only guy, most athletic guy I ever saw and played with. He was the only person I've ever seen me be able to make a wheelchair look like a toy. Uh, Jorge Sanchez, he was our version of Jared on our 2020 team. Uh, you never saw Jorge Sanchez didn't play a whole lot of meaningful minutes, even though he's a great, great player. But that guy, every single time the camera switched to him, always bringing the energy, always inspiring us. Uh, Nate Hines, just an absolute true professional and adult, super consistent. We always knew exactly what we were going to get from Nate. Uh, Brian Bell was maybe the best player I've ever seen without an ego. I think you could make the argument that Brian Bell was the best player in the world in 2020 Tokyo, but that guy never cared if he scored, if he played, if he sat in the dive, if he never touched the ball, just did whatever the team needed. And I've never seen that out of a guy that talented to literally bring no ego. Um, and then our, our captains, Mike Pay, just the ultimate competitor, a great leader, super smart the way he saw basketball. And Steve Syria, who I ended up playing a ton of time with, our other captain, he was the most fundamental player I ever played with, which was 
I, I loved because I, I was always an instinctual player and had a lot of flaws in my game. But Steve did everything well in probably the best basketball IQ I was ever around. And then we were coached by Ron Mikins, who, in my opinion, is the GOAT back-to-back with the women, back-to-back with the men. And uh, I wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't for the help of all those guys. So I just wanted to give every single one of them a shout-out. I love it. That's just so beautiful that you give homage to everyone around you. Everyone has their gifts. They all threw it in the middle to succeed. And, and, uh, and you identified what certain players had with certain gifts and everybody had a piece, everybody had a part, everybody had a role. And uh, we know how important role players are in the Paralympic uh, quest for gold. So uh, let's, let's though, now, now that we've covered that, let's go into the Paralympic experience, starting with you know, 2004 in a little more depth than what we previously covered. Yeah. I, so, um, you know, the, my, my story, as I said, 2000 picture with you circled, uh, didn't get it, get a try out. My first time I, I, I was cut in 2002, my senior year. And I thought, Oh, you know, here, here's my great opportunity. I'm going to make it. I was the last guy cut again. That just inspired me even further. Uh, that 2002 team ended up winning the world championships. Again, more inspiration for me. I went on to play in Italy, and so I'm pro- playing professionally. And uh, and I think that that was when I was able to make some of the improvements in my game. You know, I was I was too small. Uh, I ended up putting on about 30 pounds of of weight just on, in in Jack in terms of getting into the weight room and improving the defensive side and, and things. And then uh, finally, here comes the the tryout for 2004 and I, I was lucky enough to finally uh break in and you know my like myself and uh jay nelms and matt scott and and uh mike pay uh that was that was all of our first time getting in there so we were we were a pretty young team mixed in there with a few old vets like trooper and and glass brenner and yeah, jeremy lottie was in there too right that's right. Yeah. Opie was in there as well. Yeah. That's right. We were, yep. And it, it was all of our first, uh, first go rounds. Uh, 2004 was, you know, people have asked me, they've said, what was your favorite Paralympics? And, and it's funny because I've said to people, Athens, <laughs> even though the, that was the one that we, that we did not do well, finishing seventh place. Um, but I think any time that you have, Finally, you know, it was my first time really getting to wear the USA uniform and, you know, hearing the national anthem and, and being out there under the bright lights of the Paralympics. I think the first time is is almost always one of the most meaningful. And to, and to do it as well in Greece, in Athens, you know, the home of the Olympics, it, uh, you know, and all my family was there. It was really, really meaningful. Uh, we just we just didn't get the result that we wanted, sadly, with the uh, the quarterfinal foul on at the last second there. Yep. Yep. Um, so it was really meaningful to me too, but, uh, if I recollect that was also the, the ride home, not only did we finish seven, but, uh, a hundred plus disabled athletes from the U S wait all morning to board a plane we board a crazy process and then 
the plane has a mechanical, we have to deplane, we have to go back to the Paralympic village, which is the Olympic village also, and spend a night when everything has been ripped out of there <laughs> and do it all again the next day. I mean, if that wasn't salt in a seventh place finish wound, I don't know what was. Yeah. I mean, that experience, my God, I mean, to have the whole entire USA contingent and all of those individuals and disabilities to have to get on that, get off. Thankfully, that was the last time they ever did that debacle. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> certainly um, it was difficult to, to finish seventh. You know, anytime that you you do something and you don't you don't get the result that you want, um, it's going to hurt. and It's going to sting. But particularly at the Paralympics and us being a basketball nation. I mean, all of us that were involved in that experience felt that coming back of, oh, you know, oh, really? You can't even win a medal. Oh, failure on USA's part. Can't win gold. You know, it's your young, whatever. You, you guys were too young, too inexperienced. And it's not, you know, the Paralympics is not something that you just get an immediate opportunity to to jump right back in and do. I mean, you're you're carrying that burden with you for four years and sometimes you never get another shot. And, you're, you know, you're carrying that with you uh, for life. Yeah. Well, we were, you know, what people don't recognize is just how close we were to making it to the semifinals. Uh, it was this close. And uh, but yet that <laughs> seventh is seven. Uh, it was also the year, you know, where the timing of Paul Schulte and Will Waller sitting out two of our our Andy more. Barbara. Annie Barber, you know, uh, so we had some some forces kind of working against us. We had a we had a good enough team to make the semifinals and contend for sure. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, so do you think somehow that played a part in your uh, uh, kind of goals for the future the seventh place finish did you feel like man i've i've got unfinished business definitely i definitely felt like unfinished finished business and i was you know I, again still playing over in europe playing really well in spain thinking i'm doing the right things uh i was i was really really excited to get back there in 2005 and, you know, jump right back in. And I'm thinking here now we got some of us guys, like I'm, I'd already mentioned, Matt and, and Mike and Jay Nelms and some young guys coming up. And uh, I thought, here's here's a great opportunity to continue with that. Well, 2005 comes around, cut. 2006 comes around, cut. Seven, cut. Eight, cut. Not cut. Ten, cut. You know, as I mentioned before, six straight years of being cut. And uh, I think that that experience in – in Athens and being there and being able to wear the USA uniform and be a part of the, the Paralympics, but, but having such an, an abject failure in terms of where we finished, I think that was one of the things that drove me year after year after year of, I do not want that to be the only Paralympic experience I ever have. I, I want to be able to wear the uniform again. I want to be able to make the country proud, the sport proud, my family proud. I want to win a gold medal and and that's what drove me. And in the back of my head, every single year I went there and I I just said, eventually I will get good enough that they cannot cut me. 
And, and I'll never forget in 2011, showed up to the tryout. Jim Glatch is now the coach. And he had just cut me, you know, the previous year in 2010. I showed up and uh, I said to him before the tryout starts, I said, I'm ready. This I, I knew it. I said, this time I'm ready. You're not going to cut me this time. I'm making this team. But I had it, at, at that point in 2011, I had I had finally done everything that I needed to do. I, I think that as athletes, there's always something in the back of our heads that that we almost fall back on. It's like a crutch of, well, you know, I'm really, really good, but I don't do X, Y, Z. You know, like, oh, look how good I am, but I don't even lift or I don't even eat the right way. Or, you know, we almost use it as a crutch of like, look how great I am and I don't do that. And I think up until 2010, there were still some things that I was leaving in the tank and because it is a really, really hard thing to do as an individual in any, anything, but certainly in sports to say, I'm doing absolutely everything I can in everywhere that in my supplementation, in my sleep, in my diet, in, you know, in lifting weights and shooting, this is as good as I can possibly be. I think that's a really, really hard thing to do. But by 2011, I had done that. I had done absolutely everything. And I knew that I was playing at a, at a really, really high level. And I just went in there with this utmost confidence that came from the training that, all right, I've done the work. I'm a completed player now. I'm older. You know, I, I'd worked on some of my weaknesses, improved and doubled down on some of my strengths. And I just knew this is it. 2011, I'm making this team. And I did. Yeah, well... I'm so glad you, you recapped it like that. I did have a brief uh, interaction with uh, Coach Jim Glatch about you because uh, I get pretty thorough with research and uh, uh, he's he just has nothing but high praise uh, for you, Josh. And I wanted to let you know that. And uh, so I think any listener right now gets the message that yeah, you know, it, it may not end up like you like it, uh, but does that mean you, you you automatically roll away or quit? And uh, the message is quite the opposite from your perspective. That's um, right. You 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 stick with it and, and you and you keep going. You know, again, so uh, was lucky enough to be a part of that team in in 2012 in London, which honestly that may have been the the most talented team I ever was a part of. I mean, we had six or seven guys on that team that on their day could go for 30 or 40 or carry a team. I mean, go through the list of names, you know, from Chambers to myself, to Schulte, to, to Nelms, to Serio, to Matt Scott. I mean, it was a who's who of wheelchair basketball in terms of their ability uh, to go, but we we still weren't successful we still didn't achieve our goal you know we 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 came up with uh with bronze but i'm enormously proud of you know again the same sense of people have asked me what's my favorite medal i mean honestly my favorite medal might be my london medal even though it's not gold strange enough but that's because i know how hard i had to work and the sacrifices to get back on that team and i mean i was so dedicated going into 2012, I did a two a day on my own every single day, that whole entire summer, every day, went shot in the morning, uh, lifted, was doing like 
seven, 10 mile uh, pushes to get in the cardio. And, and, and probably like physically, that was me at my absolute peak. I think I ended up leading the team in scoring and rebound. Certainly wasn't playing the most minutes, uh, but what was physically there. But as you know, luckily I had more experiences. We still weren't to the point that we needed to be in terms of a team and in terms of like a true, true brotherhood. It was still a few too much, you know, individuals and things like that, because we were like in 2012, we were certainly talented enough to win gold medal, but we weren't, we weren't there collectively, the mindset that you needed to have. Yeah. I, uh, I was there and, and got to see uh, you play and, uh, and that team. And, and as, as history repeated itself, you know, that was an all-star team, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yet with, uh, without the resources uh, and, and time together, which when we move into the discussion of 16 and, and 20, you're looking at a, a nucleus of meshing and growing together and uh, uh, and earning um, the best position in the world because of that that continuum, you know. So, what do you think? Yeah, th- there's no question. I mean, like you you look at like what what Coach Glatch had built with like that three five lineup. Um, with myself and Matt and Steve and Trayvon, you know, that was kind of the staple that we built in 2012. And we certainly, you know, moved that into uh, 2016. Uh, But when, when Ron took over, it was interesting because I actually ended up sitting out 2013 and, you know, come coming back in, in in 2014, uh, there was there was an immediate difference in terms of accountability from him to the players, and it was clear at that point that he didn't necessarily want the best players; he wanted the right kind of players and players that were going to buy in and buy into his system and put the team above any sort of individual accolades. Uh, you know, again, with how this kind of like piggybacks one after another, two thousand and fourteen. We go, we go into the world championships. We lose to Australia in a nail biter, an absolute nail biter, which I think we, we should have won. And, and here that three, five lineup with myself and Steve and, and Trey, we end up playing like 30 minutes in that game. We lose at the very end. We miss some free throws. They make some shots. I, I know that, you know, I'm speaking to the guys, every single one of us that getting that close to a gold medal really, really just doubled down on us of, okay, we, we are going to do everything that it takes to not experience that again. But we knew we were really close and, and we were getting the parts together and, and, you know, bringing in some guys like Gooch. And then, you know, we had Jared and, and Jake coming in. We had this beautiful mix of, of old and young, you know, veterans and the new guys. But I, I know that that coaching staff put an enormous amount of emphasis on not just individual players of, which I think was, was, has been a mistake, up to that point, they would always just take, well, this is the best player we have at 4.0. This is the best player we have at 3.5. This is the best player we have at 3.0. Let's just put them together all-star team style, like you said, and let's just see them go. Ron's was the first group that it was really, really clear. They were thinking more about groups than they were about individual players. 
And, you know, you think about somebody like me that somebody could say, oh, well, you know, you might be just a one-dimensional player. Same with somebody like a Trayvon. Oh, you're not so gifted. Or even like a, a Googe. But there was this beautiful mixture, both in terms of our basketball skill sets and also in terms of like we were doing personality assessments. And so we we had that. And, you know, here we go into in 20, you know, 15 and 16. That was that 2016 team was I can say definitively the best team I ever played on. And it was truly what I like to call basketball nirvana and that it's the only team I've ever been, been on that, you know, the, you know, even 2012, 2020, but it was where, you know, like I gave that, what I said about Brian, where he, he's maybe the best player in the world, but he plays without ego. That was the only team I've been a part of club and country where legitimately, legitimately, nobody cared who played, nobody cared who scored, nobody cared who did it. We just wanted to get it done. And it was it was beautiful. You could see out there the way that we were playing, guys on the bench, you know, if a group was rolling, they would say, let's change. No, don't change. They're, they're, they're doing it. I don't care if I play. I just want to make sure that we win. And, yeah. I mean, it was just, as you know, as an athlete that's been a part of multiple teams, it's just so rare to be a part of something like that where every single person is bought in and it's about the collective. It's about the group. It's individual accolades aside. And it was great in that team, you know, something that we wear is like a badge of honor in, in the Olympics, the Paralympics, you've got a ranking of here's the top scores. Here's the top rebounders. Here's the top assist. We had nobody in the top 10 on anything, nothing. But what we did have was on the plus minus guys and we ended up winning every single game the closest anybody got to us was 18 points and that was the you know the final game against uh spain i mean we you know i i believe statistically we go down as the greatest team ever that 2016 in terms of point differential top to bottom i don't think you'll have much argument uh you know at all with that um so Great description to that point. Um, so now we move to 2020. Yeah, 20, 2020. So t- sadly, 2018. Um, so again, like the, the Paralympic experience is just, it's so grueling. And I was playing over in, in Europe all the time. So I was always planning on taking the year after the Paralympics off from national team just to give my my mind and body a break, especially as it's getting older in years. And, uh, but 2018, it's sad. I did not make team because I couldn't go to the tryout. I ended up getting married that year. So I actually ended up playing in, in uh, Australia that summer, but it's that one. If there's like one regret in my life, uh, sporting it's that because I never did end up winning a world championship. And in 2018, not, not to say that I was such a huge impact on the team, but I think with us being able to play that three, five lineup and go out there. Um, that hurt me not, not being a part of that team. And, you know, we ended up winning silver. I actually, truthfully, after 2016 and winning the gold medal, I was ready to be done. Like I had finally got my, my gold medal, like the whole entire, that that was the goal from day one was to win that. Um, but then in 2018, after, you know, they lost a lot of the guys, you know, we've got this deep brotherhood, Matt and Steve and Trey calling me up saying, you know, why don't you come back? You know, you're still playing really well in Spain. We need you. It's clear we need you. We didn't win. Let's go back. Let's let's avenge this loss. 
and let's go, let's go be a team that has won back-to-back goals. Let's leave no doubt in anyone's mind. And uh, so I'm still playing over in Spanish. So I say, yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm in for two more years. And in 2019 played maybe um, my best tournament in terms of the, the Parapan games. And that was my third Parapan gold. And, uh, and then, like I already said to you, I was really, really ready to go in, in 2020 before uh, COVID came and it all got delayed uh, by an extra year. And, um, and then that led us into 2020. We had some turnover that I don't think we were expecting uh, going into that teams. Uh, but, but we had really our nucleus uh, going into that. And, uh, and, and, and as you saw, it, it, was an, it was a very, very different experience. Tokyo 2020 versus Rio. Uh, I, I mean, between the, the lockdowns and having no fans in the, in the stands. But what was the real, real basketball difference was the rest of the world had mimicked our our strategy and our style of play, going with this low pointer style. And you know, you saw it with GB in in Japan and even Australia. You know, these these stalwarts that had always played double four five three zero double one zero. Nope, done with that all mimicking us and honestly like a, a lot of us in, including myself will throw myself directly in this situation i was on i was on the back end of things like i i knew that was the going to be the, the finish line for me and so you know we had a lot of these really really close games i mean our first game against germany as you said uh you know hitting the free throws down the stretch we lost by one to to gb that had another experience you know at the end of the turkey game those were probably the most pressure field free throws i ever took and then, you know, the, the gold medal game was very, very different. It was clear that that we had taken a slight step down, but the rest of the world had had taken a step up. Um, but that was the great thing of that team of regardless of how pressurized the situation was, regardless of how good we never, ever lost any faith in each other. We, we, we genuinely believed that we would find a way. One of us, you know, one, one of us would would hit a shot. One of us would make a would make a stop and and we would we would find a way to to win the gold. Yeah, and and it just happens that those you know those two cycles, 16 and 20 or 21, whichever you want to call it, but uh you were front row center in America's living room, you know, with television. And uh man, what a what a treat. That was that was that was amazing, and just to see the power of the Paralympic movement and the advancements in you know my time playing, uh, that was incredible. I mean, I ended up getting far more messages, you know, on whatever Instagram, on email, people saying, "Hey, I caught your game uh, here in my hometown." You know, they they had a watch party for the opening game, which was great for me. You know, hitting the free throws down the stretch. And also for the gold medal game with with the way that it worked out. But they, you know, you can see it now across the board in the Paralympic movement that from Toyota to even the name of the facility, we used to go and it was the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. It's now the Olympic and Paralympic. Every single time you see that Olympic symbol, you see the Paralympic symbol. For the first time ever, the you know, the winning bonus money, Operation Gold was finally the same for us as Paralympians as it was for them as Olympians. Um, that was beautiful thing to see in, in my experience from, you know, the beginning in 2004, all the way to 2020 to see the growth of the sport 
and you know like you said on television uh, huge huge strides and i'm really really proud to be uh, a, a part of that and was involved in that process yeah man uh that whole merging of uh olympic and paralympic uh uh, there's no greater strides that we've made as a nation, you know, uh, for people or athletes with disability, you know, and, and, uh, certainly just with logo and some resources and then even extending into, uh, the hall of fame has merged the, uh, uh Olympic and Paralympic museum that, uh, is worth its weight in gold to have a visit there and see all the the players, the the equipment, and and they've done such a tremendous job. Um, but Josh, we could spend a whole podcast on these two teams and and how it's evolved today. Uh, but now I think we got to just kind of switch gears. You got to put your political hat on for a second and um you know because i think to me that 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 just speaks volume of where we're at in this movement and um you know you uh you had a a quote that um I, you used and said it said democracy is on the line the soul of the nation is on the line it really does feel like we've kind of are in the crux in our nation's history. <clears throat> like, which direction are we going to go? What kind of a nation are we going to be? Uh, can you provide some context to that quote, comment? Yeah, you know, um, after finish, I, I knew that Tokyo was going to be the finish line and, and, and was lucky enough to win a gold medal. And, uh, you know, so few athletes get to actually pick their finish line. So I just felt like the right moment was wearing the USA uniform. I, you know, I wrote it on my Instagrams, like USA across my chest, gold medal around my neck, stars and stripes around my shoulders. That was the perfect way to end. But I always knew that I wanted to have uh, as successful of a part B of my life to my part A, which was my my sporting aspect. And so that's why I had done the things like, finished my master's degree with Tokyo and why I had taken a job with, with new motion. I wanted to be able to do some things. Now I didn't know it was going to be politics. Uh, but as you just mentioned with that quote, there was a couple things that led me to this spot. Uh, one was something like what happened with January 6th and, and you know, what, what to me appeared to be like an insurrection and, and just the overall direction of the way that the country was going to go in terms of our focus on uh, healthcare and education and, and, and workers' rights. And, and, and look, for me, I, I was very, very lucky that I got to spend a vast majority of my adult life in many different countries and many different cultures. And so I got to see both the good and the bad of America. You know, a lot of people say America is the greatest country on the earth. I will agree with you. I love this country. I'm deeply, deeply patriotic. There might be no one more patriotic than me, but I've lived in enough places that I can also say, well, we're the greatest. However, in this particular area, we maybe aren't the greatest. Like here's some areas where we can make some improvements. And, you know, again, having a wife um, that is, uh, you know, we're an interracial couple. She's, she's Afro Latina. And, um, 
and, and, you know, being bilingual and, and wanting, wanting the, the country to be more inclusive and, and a kinder, a, a better country for, for everyone. And then the other thing that put me over the top was um, I had been working with Numotion and I still am as, as an ATP. Basically what I'm doing is I'm assessing uh, mobility devices, wheelchairs, power wheelchairs for the disabled community here in Iowa and in Nebraska. And day after day, just seeing the difficulty from the payer sources, the state payer sources, like the state Medicaid's, uh, to provide these individuals, like going into a, a person's house with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and seeing them have to declare medical bankruptcy or divorce their spouse, get down to their last nickel before we can provide them just basic necessities or be able to get them a power wheelchair, provide them a ramp. I just thought, this is disgraceful. I mean, mean, it was slapping me in the face every day after day after day. And then just looking at it and seeing like here in the state of Iowa, where uh, the the state funding for for like wheelchairs, it had been the denial rate had increased more than a thousand percent in the last five years. I thought something's got to be done with this. And, you know, here I am piggybacking off of a gold medal. And I thought, maybe this is my moment. You, you know, name recognition is certainly going to be important in politics. And I, I'm still young enough and fit enough where I can go out there and do the work and knock the doors, which I knew was going to be an enormous undertaking. And I thought that sports had also provided me uh, the ability, but one, to recognize the hard work, but also two, just being able to tone out all of the noise which I, you know, I think can be overwhelming to people in politics. Like one nice thing with me, I never really cared what anybody said or ever thought about me. I just put my head down, do the work. I thought that that gave me an ideal skill set uh, for entering this. And so, uh, yeah, I, ma- I made the decision almost about a year ago uh, last year that, all right, I'm going to do it. And, and I knew it was going to be difficult. Uh, I didn't know how difficult it was going to be. And I didn't know how close the election was going to be, regardless of the how hard I worked. Um, but yeah, that's that. That was the reason why I did it. Look, look as I mentioned before, fifteen percent of the population is the, is the disabled population, and just looking around in the space and seeing us as basically a voiceless, underrepresented minority group, and knowing that there, we need more individuals with an intimate familiarity of what it is to be disabled, what the needs are, and being able to go up there and advocate for these issues, uh, you know, to a legislative body. I'm really, really, really proud that I'm going to have that opportunity because there's such few people that have the opportunity to really genuinely change society and improve, you know, as we all say, oh, I want to make the the earth a better place. I'm going to be one of the people that's going to have this unique ability to actually go out there and change, you know, policy, change legislation, and actually improve things dramatically for people. That that means a lot. And as I would say to people, um, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I feel fortunate that I was able to represent my city, my state, and my nation in sports. Now I want to represent in a more meaningful way. And, and now I have that opportunity. Good Lord, man. What, what an opportunity. What a part B. I don't, I don't know if part B really describes uh, just how beautiful and the magnitude of uh, what you have in front of you. And, and uh we're all just uh, sitting back wondering how we can help or uh, we certainly know that every vote matters. Uh, we certainly know that we can't be afraid to knock on some doors when we're feeling uncomfortable about our next move in any direction. 
uh, that's difficult, but that will lead us to a better place. So uh, I just can't wait to, to, to have this episode hit. And, and I hope our listeners uh, hit share uh, like they never have. I hope those who are watching on YouTube uh, share it because this is a greater message than about baskets made or medals around the neck. This is about a better world, a better nation, uh, and how, how work translates into incredible results. And you're still writing your chapter. Um, and how, how does the future look for you, bud? Well, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, you, you've got to take life one step at a time. I'm, I'm like, I told you, I'm, I'm enormously proud that I was able to pull this off. And I mean, again, you know, going through the metrics of I'm, I'm proud that I earned it, you, you know, like this much like basketball was not given to me that I went out there and I did the work and people responded and, and respected that, you know, to, to outperform the top of the ticket by, by 14 points and be the only Democrat in all of Southwest Iowa uh, to get elected. I know that it's starting uh, to get some attention from some higher ups as well. And um, we'll see. I, I mean, as, as I've approached everything in my life, um, I would rather try and fail than, than not try at all. And so maybe there will be some bigger uh, positions down the road. Uh, we'll see. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm enormously, enormously proud of what I was able to do and for what I'm going to be able to do, to be able to represent my city at the state and be able to represent the disabled population and to genuinely be able to move policy forward, you know, improve education for the state of Iowa. Because I, I'm a genuine believer that the only reason I've been able to have this kind of success is because of the education that I've had. And, and, and that is directly because of basketball. I ended up getting a scholarship at SMSU, which allowed me to get a bachelor's degree and get a history. And then the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee paid for our, our master's degree if we wanted, which is a great program because they want to make sure that all of us Olympians and, uh, and Paralympians can be successful post our athletic careers. And, and with those, with that education background, now I know that the sky's the limit, you know, regardless of, again, with all of us in, in this space, that we can be successful in whatever we're going to do. Um, but I am really, really proud of, of, of the position that I'm, I'm in and what we're going to be able to do and accomplish, and particularly representing the disabled population, and being able to move some policy forward for improving the health care um, for people in the state of Iowa. Uh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to that, because it's, um, like I said, we, we have basically been an invisible uh, minority group in terms of our representation at, at the government level. And a lot of it, a lot of these decisions, I think, is not necessarily being done um, out of malice. I think a lot of times it's being done out of ignorance and, and it's going to be very, very different experience for those on the house floor to see somebody with a visible disability in a wheelchair out there advocating, you know, with an intimate familiarity of the space and saying, no, this is what's happening to me. This is what's happening to these other individuals. This is what we need to do to, to, to roll the ball forward. As Trayvon Jennifer said, Josh Turk for president. <laughs> I don't know about um, that one. <laughs> hey, look, um, 
we're we're getting to the point where we're going to wrap up here josh this is this has been a soulful journey and uh i just want you to think of do you have any parting words that you'd like to say before i close my parting words again would be to any any kids out there uh be singular minded and focused and whatever you you set out to be there's not enough time in the day to be great at a million different things so if you want to be a paralympian then do it but it's going to require the work so do that but also as well for any disabled individual out there uh, never think that there's something that you can't achieve because i'm living proof that anything you set your mind to and that you work hard enough for you can absolutely achieve regardless of what that is sports or non-sports related and in the political space again uh something i'm going to wear as a badge of honor winning by six votes uh you know with over seven thousand cast uh your vote does matter every vote counts and if you want to see you know the change in in the world be the change and go out there and get involved and and do something about it yeah Powerful words, man. Powerful inspiration. Look, I speak on behalf of those with a disability right now. We're so very proud of you, Josh, uh, the man, the husband, the elite athlete, and especially your representation uh, who, you know, for our population uh, with a voice in our government. you you know, it's a tremendous example and not to blow your dress totally up, but you're the right guy for the job. And, uh, uh, we're really looking forward to your future. So, uh, with that being said, I'm going to close, uh, again, I urge everyone, please share, share, share this episode. Uh, it's, it's a historical time and Josh Turek, is creating uh, his next level of history uh, that can only benefit our sport, our adaptive sports movement and the disability movement uh, to make this nation a better place for all. So do the next right thing, be a good human being, DK over and out on the wheel print and thanks so much for your inspiration, Josh. Thank you for having me, it was an honor. Peace. I hope you enjoyed today's show on the Wheelprint Podcast. I invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at DaveKileyDK3.com. Special thanks to Dromos Agency for producing this podcast, our lead sponsor, APM Medical, for their support, and Performax Wheelchairs, a sweet ride.